Let us pray. Father, open our ears to hear your word this morning. Teach us and challenge us and move us towards you. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my strength and redeemer. Amen. It's a real delight to be sharing with you all this morning and to be standing here. This church and this community is incredibly special to me. I first visited St. John's back in 2018. I remember hearing John Hare and Paul Smith sharing so wisely and with great openness and vulnerability. I remember hearing the leadership speaking with enthusiasm about how God had been leading them to begin life groups together. I remember trying to sneak out after the service for the first few weeks and being constantly disrupted in my plans. I specifically remember being caught by Chuck and Ellendale at the back door as I was trying to sneak out and them inviting me very kindly to stay for coffee hour. I was struck by the way you were all listening for God's voice and humbly looking to love God and love one another. The church didn't have it all worked out as no church does, but you were pursuing God together and God was working in that. Anyway, thank you for accepting this tall, lanky Australian into your family and for sharing the love of God with me. I hope I can share some encouragement with you this morning. When going through the readings for this Sunday, I was struck by the hopefulness of the vision they portray. So I hope to share a little of that with you this morning. The gospel, literally the good news, is our source of hope and calls us to live as people who have hope. I was excited to find part of the story of Joseph included. This story has been a source of encouragement for me the last couple of years. For those of you who are unfamiliar or need a refresher, I'll give a quick recap. Joseph is the favored child of his father, Jacob, later Israel, who bestows on him a very colorful jacket. Joseph's brothers are not particularly fans of this setup. So in a flourish of jealousy, they fake Joseph's death and sell him as a slave to Egypt. In Egypt, he serves in Pharaoh's household before gaining the ire of Pharaoh's wife who frames him for trying to sleep with her and has him sent to prison. Joseph spends many years in prison, but God is with him and Joseph gains favor with the warden of the prison. In this time, Joseph trusted that God was good and that despite his circumstance, God was in control. Even after many, many years in prison, he seems to know God and his character intimately. Sometime later, Pharaoh has an unexplainable dream and God provides Joseph with the opportunity and interpretation of that dream. The dream foretold a seven-year famine in the land. Pharaoh sees the favor of God on Joseph and appoints him to be second in command over all of Egypt. Long story short, Joseph's family find themselves severely affected by the famine in the land and must come to Egypt to buy grain. In today's reading, we have the text when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, who so many years earlier sold him into slavery. Joseph is able to provide grain and land for his family to survive and flourish. I want to read to you again from verses four to seven. Joseph tells his brothers, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, 
because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Later, in Genesis 50, Joseph explains again, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God uses the suffering and even the evil action of Joseph's brothers to rescue his family and many others in Egypt. Though evil has occurred, God is still present and working. God's plan for redemption runs above and through the whole ordeal. God uses Joseph's faithfulness in prison to save many lives. What is staggering to me is the time scale of this. Joseph is sold into slavery at 17 and it's not until he is 30 that he is appointed second in command to Pharaoh. It's likely he spent over 10 years in prison. In each of these circumstances, it would have been completely understandable for Joseph to have given up on himself and on God. In fact, I'm sure he would have felt this many times. It would have been logical for Joseph to blame God for his misfortune. But we see in each of his new circumstances, Joseph remains faithful to God and God remains faithful to Joseph. He trusts in the God of his father, Israel, and his grandfather, Isaac, and his great-grandfather, Abraham. God's vision is far longer than ours. His perspective is far broader. Even when it seems like everything has gone wrong and fallen apart, even when great wrong has been done, he can still use our circumstance and our actions, and he can redeem and bring good from it. His goodness and his redemptive plan call us to persevere. This message has been relevant for me for the last few years, especially in the times I haven't felt the meaning and purpose of my study. I hold on to God's goodness and his redemptive plan, even when I can't see the immediate result of my work and my faith. And I sense it is relevant for us now in the middle of this pandemic. Many of us are feeling the weariness of the last two years. It can feel like day after day we are being worn down by life and by circumstance, by division and by isolation. It can be hard to see the way out of this. Joseph demonstrates an ability to be faithful in his circumstance, to persevere despite hardship, and it demonstrates God's goodness and guiding hand above it all. As in the Old Testament, the New Testament is not blind to the difficulties of life and the struggle to maintain our faith. It is filled with calls to persevere. We are to stand firm until the end, to patiently endure, and to not grow weary. The verses just following our New Testament reading instruct us. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. But this perseverance is more than a nihilistic call to endure, to take each day as it comes and to push onwards. In the end, these calls are empty and will not sustain us towards life. No, this perseverance is grounded in a very real hope. We have a hope epitomized and fulfilled in the person of Jesus that God is working to redeem and renew all things. First Peter words it this way, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade.
hope is the act of waiting for and anticipating a future that is better than the present. It is not based on circumstance, but it is fundamentally an act of waiting and existing in the tension of something that hasn't happened yet. Like a rope that is being pulled and is held, we exist in that tension. I cannot possibly get close to expressing the full meaning or significance of this hope that we have, but I hope I can give you a small glimpse. Our hope is founded on our belief that God is good and that he is working things for the good of those who love him. Peter says even more than this, we have a living hope. Jesus is the living evidence of the hope that we have. He gives a foretaste of God's full redemptive plan. Jesus understood the full weight of suffering and yet he prevailed and was victorious over sin and over death. And he offers that victory to us as well. God is working to redeem humanity and the whole cosmos from the suffering and decay in the world. He is working to restore relationship between humanity and God, humanity with each other, and between humanity and creation. God desires our renewal and our freedom from suffering, death, and decay. Romans 8 says that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grow inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. God is working to make all things new. We who live here in the Northeast are well acquainted in waiting for renewal. In the middle of this cold, miserable winter, we wait and expect and hope for the first flowers of the spring. We mark daylight savings in our calendars. We gaze forlornly at the piles of ice and snow on the ground, wishing with all of our heart that it would melt. Like waiting for the spring, we wait for God's renewal. We can see glimpses of this and a partial restoration in this life. As in the story of Joseph, his actions resulted in the restoration of his family and the Egyptians. And Jesus gave us a taste of what, it, what the redemption will be like. Jesus declared at the start of his ministry, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. However, while we can see glimpses of this, of this redemption, and Jesus provided a first picture of this, for us, this work will not be completed until the end of the age. The New Testament reading alludes to this. While we may experience transformation in our personal lives and in our bodies now, this will not be complete until we die and our bodies are renewed and the final enemy, death, is defeated. In fact, 1 Corinthians indicates that without the promise of final renewal, our work here would be in vain. Paul says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. So the future redemption and reward for our perseverance will be far greater than we could imagine. Because of this, our work today takes on a new significance. Not only is redemption and liberation from death our reward, but our work today shapes the nature of this resurrection. After discussing the resurrection of our bodies, 1 Corinthians 15 ends with the following verse. Stand firm, let nothing move you. 
always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It is because of this that we can stand firm. N.T. Wright discusses this in his book, Surprised by Hope. He talks about how our actions today have consequences for the eternal. I quote here, you are, strange though it may seem, almost as hard to believe as the resurrection itself, accomplishing something which will become, in due course, part of God's new world. Every act of love, gratitude and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or walk, every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings, and for that matter, one's fellow non-human creatures. And of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed which spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world, all of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation, which God one day will make. God's recreation of his wonderful world, which has begun with the resurrection of Jesus and continuous mysteriously as God's people live in the risen Christ and in the power of his spirit, means that we do in Christ and by the spirit in the present world, what we do in Christ and by the spirit in the present world is not wasted. It is like there are ripples in the eternal from our actions of hope today. There is hope and meaning to our perseverance, not just in this life, but in the one to come. We do not labor in vain. But this hope, this eager expectation may not be the reality for many of us. There are many factors and circumstances that work to hide this hope from our hearts and minds. The everyday mundaneness of life is wearying. The brokenness of the world and the struggles of existing can work to separate this hope from our everyday lives. What can we do when we do not sense this hope? I am speaking to myself here as much as anyone. I cannot say the last few years have been characterized by hope for me. Moving overseas and doing my PhD has been the toughest thing I've done. The work can be difficult, long and isolating. Especially in the pandemic years, I have felt far from home and far from family. There have been many times I have struggled with feelings of depression and purposelessness. I have found myself getting stuck in patterns of thought and behavior that I am not proud of. Even more disturbingly, I found myself questioning if I was growing in my faith and doubting my ability to change and follow Christ. The words of Jesus to the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2 have stuck in my brain recently. You have forsaken the love you had at first. How do we find that first love again? How do we find our hope? The answer that seems to be given is to return to God and to do the things you did at first. Psalm 37 verse 7, which we read today, seems to provide another part of the answer. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. We are encouraged to repeatedly and relentlessly return to God, and we must practice being still before the Lord. This is hard in an age which doesn't value stillness but I have found so much progress in my spiritual walk centers around repeatedly making myself still before him, casting my anxieties on him and allowing him to speak. 
as we center our lives around Jesus, as we set aside time in our schedules, as we allow him to grow in our minds and make the good news our focus, we have more and more reason to hope. And we must return to what we did at the start when we were excited about our faith. Here, the action precedes the feeling. What did you do at the beginning? For me, it was spending time with God in musical worship, reading his word, placing myself in positions to serve and love people. Is there hope for our transformation? Yes, absolutely. It says in Philippians that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. As we draw near to God, as we commit to following his way and we surrender our own ways, we can be confident that the Holy Spirit will do its work in us. We are called to be people of hope, to be characterized by our hope. One Peter tells us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So we are to be holders of hope, but we are also to be bearers of hope. It is our hope in God's redemptive power that draws us to be bearers of hope to others as well. Loving others is both an outpouring and an obligation of the hope that we have. Jesus demonstrated this redemptive power in his life here and in so doing brought the kingdom of heaven to earth. Like Jesus, we are to provide a glimpse of God's redemption. There is hope for restoration in our communities in the now. Just as Jesus did, we are to declare hope by proclaiming good news to the poor, proclaiming freedom to the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, setting the oppressed free. The gospel passage gives us a template for what love should look like. It is often sacrificial and costly to us as we give up both our coat and our shirt. It costs Joseph 10 years in prison and it costs Jesus his whole life. Often it is a patient love that fits more with God's perspective and timing than ours. But as the gospel passage says, our reward is great. We have hope that the work we do today will be multiplied and perfected in the new kingdom one day. Over the winter break, I spent a couple of weeks in Ghana for research. I spent some of my time there talking with some local pastors. One pastor made a big impression on me. He moved to a rural area from the city, giving up his stable government job and his comfortable house to immerse himself in this rural village and to start a church. He was telling me about all the practical support his church had been giving out during COVID, giving out food and health support. He told me about the school they had started so that the children could be educated and could have a better future. His church was in a rural poor community and the church could not run on the giving of the congregation. So I asked him how it was he financed all of these ministries. He told me that he had started and worked on a pig farm to raise money for the church and employed members of the church to assist. He told me he had started a building business with other church members. A hope for that community looks like this pastor giving up his comfortable life to live in a poor village. It looked like starting a pig farm to keep the church running and to provide jobs for the community. It looks like visiting and praying for the sick. It looks like starting a school so children could be educated. He was a bearer and representative of God's hope to that community. We are called to be both holders and bearers of hope. 
I want to finish by reading a couple of passages to you, but I firstly wanted to say to those who don't feel that hope at the moment, God has not forgotten you. God is good and he desires good things for you. Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.